Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Welcome back, everybody, to The Daily Sales Show, where we give you the tips and tricks to help you sell better every single day. Today, we're talking about one of the most important but often overlooked aspects of having successful deal cycles, and that's making sure that you have key decision makers involved throughout. So it's really difficult to actually get a deal closed, even if your champion is super involved in advocating for you, if that decision maker isn't involved in the cycle and you know maybe they could blindside you at the end with a no. So we're going to figure out today how to involve our champions um, and decision makers through the entire deal cycle and give you a much better chance of getting to that closed one. So can't wait to learn from Cynthia on this. Um, as everyone's coming into the room, can you let us know where you're tuning in from? Where are you based again, Cynthia? I uh, I I was born and raised in Honduras, but I live between Miami, Boston, Central America. I'm all over the place. Mostly Miami. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I'm in Miami as well. Uh, we have some really? Canada. Yeah. I didn't know that. We should definitely meet up. Oh, my God. <laughs> Next one in person. Um, the Bay Area. Oh, you're up early. Thank you for joining. Delhi, Atlanta, Alabama. Awesome. Well, we've got a great international crew here. Everyone's here to learn from you, Cynthia. So probably need no introduction, but today's guest is Cynthia Handel, co-founder and head of global sales for Samara. Cynthia has had over 12 years of experience in sales and business development, has successfully grown and led large teams of BDRs, and has a wealth of knowledge on all things sales. So in today's call, yeah, we're going to draw on a lot of real life experiences that she's having with her team. So you can actually see firsthand, not theory, but actual practice of how these things work. And now you can get that power involved in your deals. So super excited. Before we dive in, be sure to check out the upcoming shows that we have. So today we're talking about power and decision makers, but we also have calls about um, cold calling, about email outreach, pretty much everything involved with becoming a better seller. So scan the QR code, check out the link sellbetter.xyz. We also have some additional resources that you can find on our website. So super excited for you to check that out. Um, something else I'm super excited to announce is that we have the Sell Better Hotline, and this is going to help you launch your personal brand. Um, so it's a 30-day program. It's completely free. Um, we'll send you a daily prompt that you can answer on your phone in 60 seconds. You'll send it to our team. We'll help edit it into postable content. And then you'll be on your path to becoming a thought leader in your space because you'll have daily prompts, daily things to post, edits from our team, um, and an accountability system to really kickstart your brand. So this is a super exciting offer. Be sure to scan that QR code and check it out. Also, a massive thank you to our partner, Apollo, for making today's shows possible. Our drop of the day is from Apollo. Um, check out the link in the chat to get free access to their incredible database. All right, without further ado, let's jump into today's agenda. Um, we have three main points we're going to go over today. First and foremost is how can you actually define power in the deal cycle and the decision makers? How do you find out who those decision makers are and why is it so important to have them involved? Next, we're going to talk about some strategies to cut through the noise and actually get the attention of your decision maker because you're not the only one trying to reach them, right? Like their emails are completely full. Their voicemails are probably full as well of people trying to get in touch with them. Cynthia, I'm sure this is happening to you. So Great. we're going to talk about some actionable strategies to cut through that noise. Make sure you get on their radar early on. And then finally, we're going to talk about on a more holistic level, how do you keep key decision makers involved throughout the entire cycle. So not just at the beginning, not just at the end, you're on their radar, they know what's happening. 
Um, and then you're going to have a much stronger champion when it comes time to close it. So going to jump into all of this today. But first, can you let us know who is in the room today? Are you SDRs? Are you AEs? Are you frontline managers? Just want to make sure we have the best possible conversation. So Cynthia, to kick us off, can you help us understand what does it what does it mean to get to power? And why is it so important? So uh, hello, everybody. Again, I'm Cynthia. I am the head of global sales from Samara. I also lead evangelism efforts at Samara. And what Sydney asked is actually a great question. What does getting to power mean? So when we think about power, power is that one person or that one department that holds that yes or no to either buy your product or your service, the person that holds the yes or no. So the first thing of when you get to power is you definitely need to understand what your product market fit is. You really need to understand what your ideal customer profile is. What are your ideal companies? What are your perfect companies are? And who are the buyer personas? in those companies. When you define the ICP, the ideal customer profile, um, I think it's very important that first of all, you take a look at your current customer base because normally your ideal customer is based around your customer base and the customers that have been there the longest and the customers that when you look at them, you say like, oh my God, I wish I had 10 more of these. These are like the perfect customers. So Whenever that comes to mind, you definitely know that that is your ideal customer profile and you should be mimicking, prospecting, and looking for companies that are the closest to your ideal customers. And that takes you to go to the anti-ICP, meaning what does power not look like? Who you should not be reaching out to. So it's the exact opposite of those perfect customers, companies that used to be your customers, that were definitely not a fit because of X or Y reason, companies that are not in the location that they need to be based. Most companies in the U.S. Uh, sell globally, but there's a, a like I probably probably say more, more than 50% of the market that only sell to the U.S. So there's a lot of factors that are involved when you're looking for power. And when you're looking for that ICP for companies that don't have a designed ICP, it's important that you take a look at the company size, at the revenue, technologies used, um, what is the employee count, uh, what what is the size of the customer base. Again, because if it has a huge customer base, you can normally put the customers into buckets and see these are my best performing customers, these are my medium performing customers, these are my low performance customers. And you definitely want to mimic like the top of the funnel customers. And then of course, it bottles down to what was the decision maker within my ICP. So when you're looking at the decision makers, I think that it comes down to the size of the company. Am I selling to MMBs, SMBs, or am I selling to enterprise? Because normally SMBs are a lot easier to find the decision maker because if it's a company like just like a generic example, Samara, the company that I work for, let's say that they're the company's looking to hire for a BDR. So if the company's less than 100 employees, I would normally go directly to either the head of sales, VP of sales, or director sales because the decision makers of SMBs are normally C-suite, VP level, or director level. 
and the decision makers are in within the sales department, if it's for a sales role, probably the CEO, founder, or co-founder, and if there is a chief of staff, a VP of people, or a chief of talent acquisition, that person can also be involved in the decision. But what happens when I'm looking for power in a company that has 10,000 employees? How do I get to that power? So first of all, there's layers. In huge enterprise companies, there's layers and layers and layers and layers and thousands of gatekeepers, middle managers until you reach to that person. So again, it goes back to the product market fit. Who does your product sell to? If your product is, let's say, a software that is exclusively like, let's pick out an, an example like DocuSign. DocuSign can go both ways. It's either for finance documents, so but probably somebody in the finance department would be there because the CFO has to be involved with everything related to invoices, accounting, and it's also for sales teams. There has to be an agreement when you sign that deal. And it probably customer success is also involved. So it's like three or four major departments that are involved. So first of all, you take away the noise and you start focusing on the four major departments that would use your product or your service. And then you start weeding out decision makers. So let's say there's 100 decision makers in the customer success department. Who is the highest one? Who's the second low uh, ranking one? Who's the third one? Who's the fourth one? Who's the fifth one? And that's when probably an ABM, uh, an account-based marketing strategy comes in place. You start reaching out to different levels. Um, maybe you're not reaching out to the same people. That's when you start asking, can you point me in the right direction? And you start weeding out, as we know, enterprise deals are not closed in one week as SMB deals are or one or two days. It takes a lot of time because of the layers that need to be involved in the process. So again, it's the product market fit, understanding who your product is made for and looking for those people within the companies that you're selling. So I think that's how you definitely need to get to power. That's my take on how I teach my BDRs, how I teach salespeople to actually find the right decision makers in every company. I think that's an excellent breakdown because it really is company dependent, it's product dependent, size dependent. Do you have any good questions that people could ask? Maybe this is like for an AEE who's gotten to a discovery call and they're trying to determine whether or not the person they're talking to is in a position of power, if they're a decision maker or if they're just looking or if they're going to be your champion. How do you kind of uncover that to make sure you're talking to the right people from the beginning? So there's definitely what I call the bingo sheet, a manager I used to have in the past. He taught us of the basic five qualifying questions and he called it the bingo sheet and I loved it so much that I keep teaching it to my team. It's like the bingo sheet. There's five questions that make this a bingo and you need to figure out what your five qualifying questions are for your prospect. So is this person a decision maker? You're not going to ask that. Like, are you a decision maker? Should I be speaking to you? But there's little hints along the way that you should be asking, like, if this person definitely says at the first meeting, like, I'm going to get back to my manager. It's definitely not a decision maker because he has to go ask the other person. Another way of, of asking it in a polite way without offending people is, is there anybody else that we should add to the meeting? Or is there more people we should forward the quote over to just to know if there's more people that are probably want to go ahead and see the quote? So that's the first one. Number two, what is their buying window? How soon are they looking to make a purchase? Are they just looking? Uh, why did they decide to take the meeting? Yeah, uh, Is it like 
because they're actively in the buying window, that they're actively looking to change from our product that they had, there's their contract over, or are they just browsing around because they might be looking to make a change in the next six months or a year and are just qualifying and looking for information? Number two, your buying window. Number three is definitely the budget. Um, like let's say that you're selling a software for calls or like a power dialer. So a good question is like how many users are going to actually use this? And if you actually have a power dialer, what's the current spend that you're using? Because if they currently have a solution that's 50% less of what your software is, it's good to know like what is like their their budget for the, that decision. And that is my bingo sheet that I my reps don't ask out during the call, but it's questions that you can normally know. Like, for example, are you looking to hire in the next 15 days? You can tell that by the open remote ro job roles that they have. Have you hired in Latin America before? Or do you hire globally? What problems have you had during the hiring process? It's uncovering pain points. What is your budget? I just said that. So when you have a qualified conversation, normally these five little mind questions that you have written down that are your bingo sheet questions are normally answered by the conversation and you can just figure them out like like i said if somebody says i'm gonna get back to my manager or can you also copy your cfo or our cro you definitely know that they are holding the power as well because the moment a person asks to have the cfo copied or the ceo it's because they're going to see be seeing like the back and forth of emails that you guys are going to be having and they they might have internal communication between them they're going to say like no this is too expensive or no what she's saying doesn't make any sense right no i think i think that's incredibly insightful and it also seems like you could probably tell a little bit by how they answer the questions too even if it's not a direct let me talk to my manager if they're pretty unfamiliar, like maybe they don't know about the budget or they don't know what their experience was like in the past, I feel like sometimes that gives a hint that maybe they haven't done this before or they're just gathering information for somebody else. Um, exactly. Advice somewhere or a few places where people say you should ask about the last time they bought something like this, what that process was like. How do you feel about that question? Like to kind of diagnose who was involved and what it was, what the experience was? I think that's normally good. And that's actually a really good question because you can also uncover pain points from that question. Like, let's say that their current provider took too long or they were having a lot of issues. You're going to probably like want to address that internally. Like last time that they bought this, they had X and X experience with X and X vendor. We definitely do not want them to have this experience. Right. It's pain points that you can uncover in that question and see how you can better the process that you internally have or just make it a better better and smoothless experience for when they want to acquire your product. Amazing. All right. So it sounds like the keys are really to understand who you're selling to, who you're solving the problem for, and then making sure you're asking those really good discovery qualifying questions to know that you're talking to the right people from the beginning. So I want to jump into some actionable tactics to cut through the noise. Like maybe you haven't gotten to the conversation point yet and you're just trying to capture the attention of someone who might be able to make a decision about your product. I want to talk through how we do that. But also everybody, um, if you have any questions, be sure to throw them in the Q&A. We'll save a few minutes at the end to answer them. Alrighty, let me see. So we have a few different strategies to cut through the noise in our initial outreach. And I'd like to chat through a few of these and kind of understand how you guide your team to do it and how you'd recommend people 
do this outreach to very busy decision makers who are getting bombarded by messaging all day long? So first of all, data, 100% data. Like I remember before I worked remotely, there was a moment in my career that I think changed everything on the way I see things about data. And it's a cartoon I saw that it said that selling without data is like standing in the middle of a freeway with your eyes closed and your ears covered. So data is like, that just hit me. And I worked in real estate in that moment. And I remember I just thought about it and we had no data at that company. Fun fact to everyone, we did not have a CRM and we had over 15,000 tenants in two countries, Honduras and Costa Rica, and everything was kept on Excel sheets and staff. So like whenever like one of the sales managers for the malls would go back to me, like asking for a rent decrease, I would just remember it was like, remember back in 2015 when this it was like based on stories. So data. Data is extremely important. And remember that selling without data is like standing in a freeway with your eyes and ears covered. So data needs to be accurate and it needs to be analyzed. And let's say you're a BDR that you're prospecting, or let's say that you're a sales leader and you're giving out lists to your team. Data needs to be accurate. That's the number one reason why BDRs, SDRs, AEs, anybody that's doing full cycle sales fails to prospect and reach the correct ICP and decision makers because data is not accurate. They're either researching the wrong decision maker or adding like if your product is intended for sales team and you're reaching out to the CTO, you're losing your time. The chief technology officer is not your decision maker. So the data of getting it accurately and analyzing is the first step in the process because incorrect data is probably a waste of time and you're not reaching to the right people that you're supposed to be reaching out to. So companies need to invest in data. And even if they're like on a bootstrap budget, there's a lot of free resources out there. Um, on my first jo job as a, B as a BDR, like four years ago, the company did not invest in data. And we basically, my way of prospecting was basically Google scraping. And I did everything. Uh, I worked with a within the car wash industry and we sold car wash point of sale systems for express car washes. So my data was opening a Google map, looking at every single express car wash in each single state and seeing which one wasn't a customer. That was it. That was the data that I had. So data needs to be accurate 100% or as try as yeah. possible as it can be. And there has to be like an investment. Or even if you don't have the budget, at least time has to be invested in taking a look at the lists that your team is researching or doing. So you sorry about primarily like contact data and making sure you have exactly yeah. contact data. And if you're letting your teams go free range, like, okay, we let our people build their own lists, you need to take a look at the lists they're building because um, my team does a mix of both. We we just hired a data analyst, which is going to do the list building for us. We just want to return that time back to the BDRs. And we're going to be very, very, very strict about the data that's putting into just because we want to continue reaching out to the correct decision makers. And remember that good data becomes quality. There's a huge difference between if you're booking meetings 
with correct decision makers, but they're not in the buying window or they're just intro meetings and you're just creating volume, qual quality over quantity always. So that's what data comes down to. The second strategy, sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, it, that makes a ton of sense because you could be doing the best possible outreach all day long. And if you're not reaching the right people, there's no point. So and great. your deals are not converting. Like yeah. you could you can have a hundred meetings and like ninety percent of those of those people show up to your meeting, but none of them convert. You definitely have a problem there. Um, number two, personalization. And I just saw Jason say something about this messaging. Messaging is extremely important because I think I get like 10 LinkedIn messages a day and I don't answer 10 of them because they're all like people that are trying to pitch slap me, sell me things that are not even personalized messages. They're like, I saw you in the brain expansion group and we have a lot of connects in common. Would you be interested in a project management MBA sometime? And I'm like, I get like five of those every single day just so that, you know, and I delete them. So personalization, like if you want to reach out to the decision maker, you need to know what, how to cut through the noise and how to call their attention. And that is when you go into a multi-channel approach. Um, I disagree. And this is just my personal opinion. I don't want to call anybody out because I think I encourage every single person out there that works in sales to find their own style and what works for them. But personally... I don't rely on one channel. I never put my eggs in one basket just because outbound is getting harder and harder and harder. And every time people hate getting cold calls, but the whole purpose of doing social, of doing video prospecting, of doing emails, leaving voicemails and doing cold calls is to build a mix between all of the, uh, all of the channels and create familiarity. So I think that to cut through the noise, a multi-channel approach is definitely the way to go. Like there needs to be a mix of emails, cold calls, um, LinkedIn messages, social selling, and video prospecting or any other, like if you're into dark social and if you're doing Twitter and if you're doing TikTok, whatever else, Discord, whatever else that you want to do, it need, on my personal experience, a multi-channel approach is amazing because it cuts through the noise and let's say that you reached out to five decision makers within that company and didn't get replies from four but one of them answered via linkedin and referred you to the right person so all channel um and number four rotate accounts something that we do in the company that we we used to do in the past we stopped but we just started doing right now is Whenever a, an account is inactive from a BDR, like the past 30 days, we switch it over to another BDR and who knows, people got lucky and like somebody was working on an account for two months and got no answer. And then one person within the first call, they got the meeting. So sometimes it's all about luck as well. One person calls at a different time. Maybe the decision maker had his phone in hand and he picked up the call. So I think account rotation is good. Like if a BDR has working on an account for 30 to 60 days and has gotten nothing out of it not one single reply you might want to try have somebody else try the account maybe search other decision makers and who knows i've seen it happen and it happened a lot that people yeah. find the right decision maker and book that meeting so it just takes it's a lot of persistence and i think a key point here is a lot of people are not doing all of these things because you look at the list and like yeah, it, it's not easy you know like it's not easy to make sure your data is accurate and have personalized messages and be calling and emailing and be in on linkedin 
Um, but as you said, Cynthia, outbound is getting a lot harder. There's a lot more noise. There's a lot more automation. People are becoming more resistant to the messaging. So if you're willing to do these things, you really can stand out in a big way. So um, I want to ask about posts that you have here. Can you tell us a little bit about what this is for, what your strategy was, and how it attracted the attention of some decision makers? So that's actually, I've done that post like five times in the past, what, five to six months. And every time I do that, I probably get between five to 10 inbound meetings via LinkedIn a week. Why? Because I've built my LinkedIn audience around my decision makers. I know that my decision makers are normally CEOs, founders, co-founders, VPs of sales, CROs, head of sales, uh, anybody within that department. So whenever I post that, it calls their attention because the num- as a sales leader, the number one pain point that I'd have in life is finding good BDRs. The churn that unfortunately comes with a role is high. Um, Sometimes you hire somebody because they had a great resume, they had a great interview, they did the role of play really well, they had a great pitch, but within the first week, a lot of things happen. Trust me, I've seen it all. This person is not a good fit or the person doesn't understand the product. You train, you coach, and at the end of the day, this person is resistant to coaching, is not understanding the product. So that's my main pain point. So. I know that other sales leaders are having the same pain point. Like you have top performing BDRs, you have medium performing BDRs, and then there's low performing BDRs. Yeah. And I think everybody has that in their team. So it definitely triggers a pain point and people reach out to me because it's somebody that's proven to be successful in the sales world to say, I train these people. Uh, you have to take a look at them and it works really well. It's like it breaks through the noise and it actually creates traction. I think the key point here is even if you don't have a big following or a lot of people who are going to see this, you have to really, really, really understand that ICP and that pain point that you're solving. And if you know that inside out, then you can create relevant messaging. Uh, Because what's going to be paid attention to is if you send an email to somebody and you highlight a pain point that you know they're having and that you can solve and they can immediately light up and be like, oh, wow, yeah, this is exactly something I'm dealing with. um, That's going to resonate a lot more than just sending a random message like, hey, you need a BDR? Like, Maybe, you know? Exactly. So I really love it. Well, yeah. Something that I think that works a lot is definitely content because um, when you're catering like to specific leaders in any space, um, there's content that can be created that is specifically catered to them. Something that we found really, really helpful at the company where I work for, Samara, is whenever uh, we reach out to any decision maker, that they're hiring for any role. It can be customer support, for example, or customer success. We provide content on the candidates that we have. We provide videos. Like you can actually click on a video. That's actually one of my BDRs, Ariane. She works with me now. Um, So it's actually, you can take a look at Ariane's video and have her pitch. Uh, I have written assessments from people that graduated from the Samara Sales Academy or from the Customer Support Academy. You can take a look at what they look like in real life. And that's just for my specific industry. What if you're selling a software? Well, the best way to actually have somebody is give them a free trial of your software or give them a dummy account to get around and play with the software, get the feel. Content is the number one reason 
why a decision maker might be engaged in actually saying yes to or buying your product or service, hiring somebody from you, or probably just giving your product a try, providing content and providing like a free nugget in there that's going to call their attention and make them try out your tool. If you're just selling and not providing value to them, you're not going to be able to cut through the noise. Yeah. And making it as easy as possible for them to understand your value, like the video. Um, so we're, we're getting to the end here, unfortunately. So I just want to make sure we have a time to answer this question. Uh, we have somebody who asked, what are your thoughts on after determining that your POC on the call is not the main decision maker? So like, you know, it's a champion, but maybe not the decision maker. You can say, it's been my experience in the past that in order for this evaluation process to be successful, we have to have all decision maker economic buyers involved in the process moving forward. Would it be okay to involve XYZ person moving forward in the recap email I send out today? How do you feel about that approach? So definitely, I think it's a very polite and it's a very subtle approach just because it's not in your face, like telling you like you're not the right decision maker. And I think it's a very, very, I had never thought about that. I love it. Based on the market research and how it works, I think it's amazing. I would totally use it. I had never really thought about that. Just don't go like, okay, so you're not the decision maker. Who should we be speaking to? Because that's offensive and you're probably going to ruin the deal. But that's a very good approach. And I think it's a polite and professional approach because you're not offending the person. You're just asking around. And even if they say like, no, I'm going to pass the information over, um, you can just say like, okay, perfect. And reach out back to in a couple of days like, oh, hey, I was just following up to see if uh, the information was trickled uh, with your account. And you can do the research on your own as well. And you can say like, I saw that X and X is your CFO and just like, leaving a little note here we want to go ahead and send him some information just giving you some heads up just to that so that he knows this is what we do blah yep. blah blah without asking for permission and that's a polite way of just like and they're gonna say like yeah send him whatever information you need and that's how you probably can get that person in like the communication or in the thread as well a great suggestion all right i'm sorry unfortunately we're gonna have to end it here cynthia where can everybody find you so you guys can find me on LinkedIn. I'm very responsive and I'm going to leave my LinkedIn in the comment section right here in the chat box. You guys can see that right there. And uh, I'm not sure if it's there, right? Or in the Q&A one. Yeah, in the chat. That's perfect. Everyone, thank you so much for joining. Um, go say hi to Cynthia on LinkedIn. Uh, be sure to also check us out on our website, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. We post lots of sales content every single day to try and help you up your game and sell better. Thank you so much for joining. Good luck out there and go get after those decision makers. Good luck. Happy hunting.